Good morning, brothers and sisters. Good morning, morning, brothers and sisters. There we are. This is Palm Sunday. I hope you're excited to be here this morning. I hope that the Lord has already pressed on your heart something to bring into His house. I hope that there's something weighing on you that you're seeking for an answer. Because I'll tell you this morning, we're going to be going back to Jerusalem. We're going to be going back to the outside of the gate. We're going to be saying, Lord, where are you? Lord, are you coming today? For this is Palm Sunday. This is Palm Sunday when Christ came. For those that hadn't seen Him yet, for those that had heard the rumors, for those that had seen those that had been with Him, Jesus was coming. And those in Jerusalem were hearing the news and they were making themselves ready. So this morning, if there's something pressing on your heart, if there's something you've been expecting God to do, if there's something you've been waiting on from Jesus, or maybe you're just waiting to see if Jesus really is who He says He is, Jesus is coming, and this is Palm Sunday. Turn in your copy of God's Word to the book of Matthew, chapter 21, and we're going to be reading verses 1 through 11. Now, This is a historical account. We're reading an eyewitness account of what it looked like to see Jesus come. So if you would, in honor of God's Word, if you're willing and able, please stand for the reading of God's Word as we begin in the book of Matthew, chapter 21, verses 1-11. through When they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the fowl of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them, and brought the donkey and the colt and laid their coats on them. He sat on the coats. Most of the crowd spread their coats in the road, and others were cutting branches from the trees, spreading them in the road. The crowds going ahead of him and those who were following were shouting, Hosanna! To the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirring, saying, Who is this? And the crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. You may be seated. Let us begin with prayer. Father, as we recognize this time of celebration, this time as we walk into the remembrance of Your Son's life. Lord, as we read the account of Him entering the city of Jerusalem, the city being stirred up from its normal hustle and bustle of trade and worship. Now, eyes turn to Your Son. Lord, this morning I ask that every heart that has eyes and ears would look upon Jesus and would hear His words this morning. Please, Father, I just ask that Your Word would be magnified this morning and that we would worship You as we hear Your message this morning. In Christ's name we pray. 
Amen. When looking at this passage, God continued to press harder and harder on my heart throughout the week that if we don't see Jesus when He comes by, there may not be another time in which we see Him in His state. In this state, He was glorified. He was riding in such a way in which all were praising, all were announcing. But that wouldn't be His state for very long. He would travel further into His ministry and eventually end at the cross and in the grave. And many would see the resurrection, but not all. There would be some that would be there on the day in which Hosanna was shouted from the gates of Jerusalem, but they would not see Jesus risen with the piercings, the spear wound in His side, and His resurrection self glorified risen from the dead. They would not see because they would move on with life and they would miss the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning, we hear and we see from the eyewitness account that Jesus had a triumphant entry into Jerusalem. But the question for the modern man and the modern woman is, has Jesus had a triumphant entry into your heart? That is where He wishes to dwell in this hour and in this time. There will be a time in which we will see Him again face to face. But do not let this moment pass by when there is an opportunity for a triumphal entry into your heart by the Lord Jesus Christ in which His glory will become your own. His righteousness will become your own. Brothers and sisters, what I'm talking about this morning is faith in Jesus Christ. What I'm talking about this morning is our salvation. The Lord died on the cross for my sins. The Lord died on the cross for your sins. And as Sam was saying this morning, He had us on His mind. He knew us in a way that we don't even know ourselves. But let's travel back in time. Let's be there when the crowd was coming up. Because see, Jerusalem is a city of fortification as well as trade. It was built on a high point in which you could see out upon the hillside. You could see folks arriving as they were parading up the hillside. These folks shouting, Hosanna in the highest. They would have been heard and then seen and seen for a long while as they made the trek up to Jerusalem. And so they see Him and they say, what is this commotion? Who is this that is coming? Brothers and sisters, just imagine for a second, you have the person that's at the front of the gates always trying to sell their wares. They're trying to pawn off one more animal pelt before the end of the day. They're trying to get their their business moving if it's the beginning of the day. And they hear Hosanna in the highest. They hear Hosanna to the son of David. And they say, who is this? And you can hear the whispers. That's possibly the rabbi, the son of the carpenter, the Nazareth, riding into Jerusalem on what? I can't make it out yet. A little bit longer and the shouts are growing louder. Is that a donkey? Why? Why would a rabbi be riding a donkey? And if this is really Jesus, the son of the carpenter, why is he not walking with his disciples? Why is he riding a donkey? For you see, when there, was, there were parades of 
mighty men that would enter Jerusalem, they wouldn't come on a donkey. They wouldn't even come on a colt. They would come on a Roman horse. They would have a regiment of soldiers and they would show their power and their might and they would say, I am in control by their stature. Yet this is not the picture we see when we read the eyewitness account of Jesus coming in triumphantly into Jerusalem. He came humbly. For you see, they were also saying, are the rumors true? Can it be this man that just gave sight to the blind man near Jericho? I heard the rumors. I knew his family. There was no way he could provide for himself. He would beg. And yet now he has sight. This transpires in the book of Matthew just before the chapter 21. Additionally, can this be the rabbi that met with the young ruler? You know, the one who had the money and the land and the prestige? If he had only tied himself with the young ruler, he wouldn't be riding on a donkey, brothers and sisters. If he had just befriended the one who has position, he wouldn't need to have a donkey. He would come in as a Roman. Oh, can it be the one who was healing those by the size of crowds beyond the River Jordan? Could this man really be a king? Or is he just a prophet that comes as all the other prophets have, making their announcements, but quickly being silenced by those who are at the temple? See, Jesus, when He made this command to His disciples, He made something very evident. Jesus spoke as a king to His disciples because He is one. We see this in verse 3. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord has need of them, and immediately He will send them. This is not the man that we would think trying to persuade someone to follow Him for His cause, trying to be generous and always give instead of take. This was His hour. This was His time. The resources were His Father's, and He only spoke on what His Father asked Him to speak about. And so this was the time in which He would demonstrate His royal blood. This is when Christ would say, Go and ask and it shall be given to you. What they have is also mine and I will use it for my purposes. It sounds arrogant when we phrase it that way, but in the Scriptures it's quite clear this is a direct command. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord has need of them and immediately He will send them. There is no question there. There's no, well, try and get a good price for the donkey. We really need to save some money before we go to the temple. They're changing money there. and We're going to need a lot to be able to make sacrifices. Brothers and sisters, what happened when he made the triumphal entry? Right after that, he goes to the temple and he says, this is my father's house and this is not how we do things here. Let me also be clear for the modern man and the modern woman. When Jesus makes a triumphant entry into your heart, sometimes He says, this is my Father's house and this is not how we do things here. He cleans house when He comes into your heart. Brothers and sisters, if He hasn't cleaned house in your heart recently, invite Him to make a change today because Jesus is willing to flip over tables for righteousness, not for His own personal gain. He wanted the temple to look as it should for His heavenly Father. 
And so he was willing to make a commotion to make his point. You may have that feeling when you first received Christ or you've been walking with Christ for years and he hasn't cleaned the temple recently and you see something on TV or you hear something at work and you smile and you go, I didn't used to smile at those jokes when I was a young believer. I would abstain. I would run from it. I would shut my ears. I would frown. And yet now those crude jokes are humorous once more. Maybe Jesus needs to clean the temple once more because His triumphant entry is still as important as it was the first day when He came in to your heart. Brothers and sisters, we also know that Jesus fulfilled the prophecy of Zechariah 9.9 by humbly riding on a donkey. Let me pause for a moment and read to you Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation. Humble and mounted on a donkey. What a word from the Lord. Written years and years before this entry. And here is a king coming to the daughter of Zion. Coming to Jerusalem. Mounted on a donkey. For those who know the law, they are afraid at this point. For those that have been studying God's words and they cry on the street corners for righteousness and they cry out, look at me, and they beat their chest when they pray for they shall have attention there and that shall be their reward. Those Sadducees, those Pharisees, they see the prophet Jesus. They see the man from Galilee and they say, he came on a donkey. If anyone reads the Scriptures, if we teach the Scriptures, they're going to know Zechariah 9.9, their King has come and we are through. The King is always greater than the priests in the temple. And the King of Kings has come. So instead of the white horse with the regiment of soldiers, He says to His people, I am King by riding on the donkey. And brothers and sisters, what do His disciples do? They take off their coats. And they put it on the donkey because He is their King. The people see Him coming and they take off their garments and throw them on the ground. And when the garments won't fill the ground, they pull down God's creation, the tree branches, the palm leaves, and scatter them on the ground so that the King will have an entry worthy of His stature. This is the same pattern that we see in 2 Kings 9.13. Then they hurried, and each man took his garment and placed it under him on bare steps and blew the trumpet, saying, Jehu is king. This has been done before in the nation of Israel, and the people are returning to a time of worship. Could this man really be a king? Oh, brothers and sisters, Jesus was acknowledged as a king by the people, not just his disciples. This wasn't a movement in which a man had included some other men in his ministry, had them drink the Kool-Aid and said, we're going to Jerusalem and I hope it's going to go well. Not at all, brothers and sisters. This was a man who fulfilled prophecy. This was the Son of God. This was the man that says, I know my Father's Word. I know it because it was written by the Holy Spirit. I can fulfill it. And he goes and he rides on the donkey into Jerusalem. And you can hear the whispers. 
Can this really be the king? Can this really be the Messiah? Is he just a prophet? Is this really the son of a carpenter coming with his disciples? I've heard of them. They went out in pairs of twos. There was 40 of them. And they were going from town to town saying, the Messiah has come. The kingdom of heaven is near. Repent. They've been saying the words that he's been teaching. They repeat the Sermon of the Mount. They were there. This is the man that we've heard of. Could this man really be a king? They took off their coats in acknowledgement. This wasn't just a movement saying, well, everyone else is doing it. I should throw my garment on the ground. This was what they had to wear for the day. This was what was going to keep them cool from the sun. This was what was going to give them stature in the marketplace. And they cast it down into the place in which animals have left droppings as they've come into the city saying, our king will come this way. Our king will come this way. We need to have a God-sized king if we're going to have a God-sized faith. This is why Christ came and fulfilled the prophecies. He didn't make a prophecy the day before and then fulfill it. He fulfilled the prophecy from years past. That which would be impossible for an imposter to complete. He did it in such a way that no man could take His glory. But brothers and sisters, let me digress for a second. Moms know best. A mom can spot a fraud. A mom can spot someone that she will not leave her children with. A mom can spot an imposter. Even a mom saw him as a king. And just the chapter before, the mother of the two sons of Zebedee asked if two of her sons, one could sit on the right and one could sit on the left, when this man comes into his kingdom. She is expecting him to rule and she wants each of her sons to have a place in his kingdom. If Christ is not valued at all, then he has to be valued above everything else. You can't put one thing above Christ and consider him still valuable. He has to take the highest position and a mom knows best. When the mom saw who Jesus was, she wanted her sons to be a part of that movement. Even to the point where she may have embarrassed them with a prideful attitude that they would have position and power. And this is the man that rides into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey with people in front and people behind saying, Hosanna in the highest as they cry out for anyone to hear. For anyone to hear. But let me unpack this Hosanna in the highest. You may know it, and if you do, don't whisper it to your neighbor, because this may be a time of enjoyment for them to hear something new from God's Word. Hosanna literally means God saves us. Imagine a group of people marching towards the city on the hill saying, God saves us. God saves us to the Son of David. God saves us in the highest. They're proclaiming salvation as they walk up the hill and they're carrying through leading this donkey their king. God saves us. But this phrase also was used when they would go up to the temple mount to visit the temple and make sacrifices during festivals. 
Can you imagine the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Not only do they see this prophet, this Messiah figure, this imposter in their perception, coming up the hill, and he's got a crowd, and the guards at the front of the the gates, the Romans are starting to say, what is this commotion? Are we going to have to break up another riot? The temple guards are saying, I hope they're not coming to the temple. They better turn and go somewhere else. And here, the Pharisees and Sadducees are saying, why are they screaming as though they're coming to the temple? Why are they coming? Passover is about to begin. The Feast of Unleavened Bread is coming. But why are they carrying Him and not us? Why are they carrying this prophet from the hillside, this northern country of Galilee, instead of the banners, instead of the replicas of the ark? Why are, why are they behaving like this? Who is this Jesus? But you see, as the procession came, though He would make stops at the temple, though He would speak in the upper room, though the Lord's Supper would be given to only a few, the place in which this man would be seen again as a king is on the cross when they saw a king of Jews. That is when His Lordship would be proclaimed in written form. That is when the true wickedness of man would be dealt with. Not when it says, Hosanna in the highest. God saves us. It wasn't that moment. Though everyone was hoping that He would be the ruler, He would be the Messiah, at that point, His work was only finished when He said, It is finished. And He hung on the cross. Brothers and sisters, we are a week away from the resurrection. We're walking into Holy Week. We are celebrating the remembrance of our Savior. And here these people look at Him and they say, He's our King. This is our King here. But you know, just as I know, when we read these Scriptures, it's plausible, even more almost reliable, that there's a few people in there that as they shout, Hosanna in the highest! Their heart being wicked and not yet filled with the Holy Spirit, and just a couple days from now we'll be shouting, Crucify Him! Let the thief go! Crucify that man! Hosanna in the highest will be the farthest from their mind. And they will be crying, Crucify Him. So who is this Jesus? Read once more in verse 10. As we get to the question, when... He had entered Jerusalem. All the city was stirring, saying, Who is this? There was such a commotion. The entire city was stirred. Brothers and sisters, we all have to answer this question. Who is this Jesus? Every individual that ever runs across the name of Jesus always has to say, Who is Jesus? Some will say, He's just a good teacher. Some will say, He was an influencer, but died and was put in a grave, not his own. But there are some that triumph, the remnant that stand with Him and say, He is the Son of God, a humble King waiting to arrive in any heart, especially your heart this morning. He arrived in my heart and made a difference. Most of you here this morning, He's come into your heart and He's cleaned the temple and He can clean the temple again if necessary. But He makes the difference. But take this into consideration. Jesus enters into your heart 
All that you have is laid at His feet. Those coats that you have, those things that you think are precious for you in the marketplace, they're thrown on the ground in the presence of the King of Kings because they are for His glory and not our own. And you cannot help but shout, God saves us. You can't go to sleep at night with the Holy Spirit residing in you and saying, I've saved myself, I've given myself eternal life. All you can say is, Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna as you go to sleep because God has saved you. And He becomes your King over your life. Even if it's leading to the cross, as these disciples said, yes, we'll go to the cross with you. I mean, if you can tell us to go get a donkey and they'll give it to us, obviously, if they're going to crucify you, we'll go with you because you've said that you'll be raised from the dead. And yet, He's denied. They scatter. They run to the hillsides when their King is killed. It is only when you profess faith in Jesus Christ will He become your King. He is still King of kings, but in your heart, unless there's a triumphant entry into your heart through your profession of faith and the Holy Spirit bringing that seal, that promise of new life into your heart, there will be no triumphant entry. And brothers and sisters, if there's no triumphant entry into your heart in this life, you will have no triumphant entry into heaven. Not my words, but Jesus who says, no one comes to the Father except through me. And so I caution you this morning, you have to answer the question, has Jesus triumphantly entered into your heart? If it is not so, then there will be no entrance into heaven for the heart that has not had a triumphant entry of the Lord Jesus Christ. If Jesus is your, is your King, then He also invites you to dine with Him. This morning, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. This morning, we're going to remember that upper room. This morning, we're going to partake of His body and His blood through the symbolism of the bread and the juice. In that, I welcome you this morning if you are my brother or my sister the Lord Jesus Christ. If the Holy Spirit resides in you and this morning you are here to worship Him, please commune with us at the Lord's Supper. Dine with Him this morning once more as He sits at the right hand of the Father in heaven and makes intercessions for us every moment. But this morning, if there has been no triumphant entry into your heart, while the music plays in just a moment, as we take time to say, Lord, clean the temple of my heart. Flip the tables over and make me a righteous man. Come to the front. I'll be down front to minister. Pray in your seat and come. Grab me or one of the deacons afterwards and said, say to us what the Lord says to you in your prayer. But take the time to get right with the Lord this morning. If you need the Lord, this is the time for Him to enter. Please come as the music plays as we take a moment to pray.